You are listening to the Forge Leadership Podcast. Forge Leadership Network mentors, trains, and connects young conservatives ages 18 to 25, equipping them to lead in politics, culture, and business. For more information or to get involved, visit forgeleadership.org. thing that I think is really important is to have a strong first impression. So whether you're going on a job interview, just visiting an organization, whatever it might be, I hope it goes without saying to make sure you're courteous to every single person you encounter when you walk in the building. From the receptionist to security to riding in the elevator, all these impressions really matter. And particularly for an interview, I always remind people that the interview starts when you walk in. For those of you who have been to the Heritage Foundation, especially when Miss Frida was there, anytime I interviewed someone, I would always go down and ask Miss Frida what her impression was and see if the person kindly introduced themselves to her. So I think it's really important to just always remember that you're representing yourself or representing your organization when you go around. Um, I always like to ask how long it takes for someone to form their first impression, and I kind of get a wide range of answers. I know we can't be quite as interactive. But the research shows it's actually seven seconds to make a first impression cues. And I say there are really three main points in making a good first impression. Your appearance, your smile, and a good, firm handshake. You can see down the road I come back to the appearance with those upcoming slides. So I'm going to cover your handshake and smile first. Um, So first, with the handshake, You know, a lot of people expect three things, two of which I've already mentioned when they're getting that meet and greet. So the smile, the handshake, and, of course, eye contact. So this is something that I think sometimes you can be very nervous when you're meeting someone for the first time, but it really is important to make sure to smile. It's that universal gesture that can warm up any situation. And even by smiling, I think it naturally makes you less nervous. So just make sure to smile. Um, a perfect handshake, I like to have everyone stand up and do one, but just to try to describe it over the phone, the perfect handshake is when you connect your hands web to web, shake up and down firmly two times, and then release. I always make a joke that we have all had those people who hang on to the hands a little bit too long and try to keep going, but the perfect handshake should be one that is web to web, up and down, two times and shake like you mean it. Whether you're a man or a woman, having a nice, strong, firm handshake can really help solidify that first introduction. Another minor tidbit I like to always mention is placement of your name tag. So, you know, when you're meeting someone, think about a handshake. You're shaking right hand to right hand. So you want to make sure that if you're at an event with your name tag, that your name tag is on that right hand side. Because when you're shaking hands, your eye will naturally go there. So it's really good to place it right there. Um, If you are ever caught in a situation where you've met someone and you can't remember their name, I always encourage you to just admit it. Say, oh, I know we met at that recent American Enterprise Institute event. Could you give me your name again? Or just introduce yourself and say, I'm Heather. I remember meeting me. Could you remind me your name? I always think this is better than having an awkward situation where it becomes obvious that you've forgotten someone's name. Um, This kind of also flows into the introductions, which I like to mention. 
whenever you're with friends or you're in a network, make sure that you make an effort to introduce people around you. It always is appreciated um, when you're a person who's looked at as connecting people. So if you're talking to someone and someone else comes up, just assume that they don't know each other and introduce them. Um, I know I always like that when people do that for me, so make sure you get into that habit of always connecting and introducing people around you. I always like to try to give a little bit of background or a piece of information when connecting people, if you can remember it. That always kind of helps to break the ice and make them feel more comfortable. And then finally on the names, um, I don't know if any of you have taken Dale Carnegie classes, um, but I think it's really important to do your best to try to remember people's names. And there's a lot of association techniques that you can do. Um, for any of you modern family fans, you might have heard Phil do this. You know, that guy looked like the drummer from Foreigner, a foreigner from France. France rhymes with ants. Ants ruin a picnic. What's up, Nick? That's a funny example, but I hope it gives you the association idea. You know, I hope people remember me as sort of happy Heather, or if you have an elegant Eleanor who's a friend. Um, whatever name associations can work, so you can make sure to remember people's names. Um, being a good listener, remember people people's personal things, that really helps them feel good about themselves. Um, and particularly if you're growing your network, you want to grow a genuine network and be able to remember people's names. Um, I'd also encourage you to maintain your connections. As you guys are starting out your career, you're obviously going to have a range of colleagues and supervisors. Um, one thing that I just can't help to mention is make sure you keep in touch with people. Nothing is worse. You know, Adam mentioned I ran the Heritage's intern program for years. Nothing is worse than not hearing from someone for three, four years and then having them come back when they need something, right? Oh, Heather, can you write me that recommendation letter? You know, I worked for you four years ago. You know, it's really important to keep up your connections, have that genuine relationship. Um, even if it's just, you know, two, three times a year, you send Adam an update on how everything's going or you make sure to send a reminder to your new boss. Um, there are lots of little ways you can build that relationship. Maybe it's every year around Christmas. You send them, you know, a little Christmas note or a card. Maybe if they wrote a really good piece at work, um, you can just send them, hey, you know, thanks. Or I saw that piece and it was really excellent in the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for writing that. Or if you're a sports fan like Adam and I, you can always talk to them right around the big game. Um, but all those things just make a little difference, and I really like stressing the importance of making sure that you remember names. So moving on to that third piece of introductions with the appearance. You can kind of see that I put together some fashion police for men and women and then some best dress lists. Um, making the transition from college student to full-time working employee can be difficult. Um, you know, you must look and act the part to really represent that organization. So when I'm running a, an event, I'm the public face for America's Future Foundation. So it's my responsibility to look and act and represent them in the best way possible. You know, whether or not it's right, people do react to the way you're addressed, whether they realize it or not. They do take a look at what you're wearing, your makeup, your shoes, all of that. And, again, whether it's right or not, people do make assumptions off attire. So I would say one of the easiest things you can do to build your professional image is to just dress like a professional. It's really that easy. 
It's one of the only things you have complete control over. You know, a lot of outside factors can influence projects you're working on at work, um, other things going on in the workplace, but you and you alone have complete control over what you put on your body every day. If you're ever in doubt, I would encourage you to take clues on what to wear from your supervisors. If your boss wears a suit every day, I would encourage you to wear a suit every day. You know, Heritage was a more professional environment. I'm now at America's Future Foundation, and we're more business casual. So, again, there's ranges in this, but I would encourage you to look at what your boss is wearing and reflect that. So as we kind of dive into my list of fashion do's and don'ts, um, I want to point out that just because something is fashionable does not mean it's something you should wear to the office. So your goal is to project the image that you're that confident, competent professional and dress the part. Um, for men, I would encourage you, and this is more the most professional end of the spectrum, but wear a suit. You know, do navy, black, gray, put on a white or blue shirt neatly pressed, um, keep the ties less flashy, um, wear dark over-the-cast socks that match your suit. You know, your legs shouldn't show your sock um, above your socks if you cross them. Um, you may think you can hide white socks, but people notice. So make sure you're wearing those darker socks that really match your shoe, your sh- your shirt. Um, black or brown leather shoes. You know, make sure they're polished. You know, sometimes when people are nervous, we look down at our feet. So you know, you don't want to have scuffy shoes on. You know, just take those kind of extra things. Um, I'd encourage kind of minimal jewelry. Um, Make sure your hair is taken care of, facial hair is neatly trimmed or cleanly shaven. Uh, make sure you limit the cologne. But these are this is really the recipe for success for men. I hope you can kind of tell the difference um, of what I put between the men and the women for the fashion police and the vest dress list. And if you actually look on that middle slide, I also put a link to Buzz, BuzzFeed, which I think has a lot of good unspoken suit rules that every man should know. So I'd really encourage you to check that out. Um, Pivoting into the ladies, um, I would encourage all of you to also wear a solid or tastefully patterned shirt and conservative dress or suit. Um, For if you're wearing a skirt or dress, um, watch the length. You know, make sure there's nothing too long, too short. It's like that nice appropriate length right above the knee. Um, I really encourage no spaghetti straps, anything that shows cleavage. Um, you know, just because something sold as a set with a jacket or skirt doesn't mean it's office worthy. So make sure you're really looking to the cut of things, the length of things. Um, if you haven't met me in person, I'm only five foot even. So I basically have to hem all of my pants. You know, you don't want to walk around with your pants dragging on the floor. Um, you know, I really encourage you to wear closed-toed pumps or flats. You know, sometimes slingbacks or moles. I've definitely seen women trip. You know, even though I'm super short, if I wear heels, I make sure that they're heels that I can walk in comfortably all day long. Um, with your hair, definitely make sure it's taken care of. You don't want it falling in your face, particularly if you're giving a presentation. Um, you know, don't go over the top with clips, headbands, nothing like that. Again, simple, classy. Um, same thing with the jewelry, simple, you don't want earrings becoming a distraction, anything like that. Um, so those are really my recipe of success for the ladies. 
Um, and if you look on the next slide, I did the five levels of business attire to hopefully give you guys some more clear advice since there are since there is a pretty wide range of workplaces and interviewing and all of that. Um, my final point I'll just say is that posture is very important. So no matter how sharp you look, don't ruin it all by slouching. You know, as we move into the workplace, there are going to be more and more business meals that you're going on, and you don't want to Again, it all goes back to that first impression that you want to make sure you're really handling yourself professionally when it comes to formal dining. Um, I'll just say don't let it intimidate you. It's just like everything else, but the two tidbits that I like to hear or I like to mention that are my biggest peeves are don't set your phone out on the table and sit through a business dinner constantly checking your email or anything like that. It just does not show respect for the other person's time having that phone out. So when you're in a professional, just like I hope you would with home with your family, like put your phone away for a meal. And the second um, would be, you know, a lot of these business events, especially in D.C., involve alcohol. If you're a person who does drink and you are 21, I would really encourage you to limit yourself to one, maybe two drinks. You know, I've sadly seen people who have, really not represented themselves and I think what is their best light because they had one too many cocktails. And, you know, that's just the two little tidbits I'd like to leave you with when it comes to um, formal dining. Um, Well, pivoting into personal preparation, um, I know it can be really overwhelming. And full disclosure, I really feel like I found my place in the movement. But when I was in college, I was really lost. I thought I'd maybe be a lawyer, maybe go to business. I was all over the place. So I like to always start this section by saying, you know, depending on where you're at doesn't mean you need to know what you want to do as a career. But I do think it's good to start honing, start reflecting and deciding what you really care about, deciding what you're really good at, um, and seeing what's out there so then you can continue to position yourself for success long term. I'm guessing that many of you are really interested in working in the conservative movement in some way. So I would like to always encourage all of you to start thinking through what you believe and why you believe it. Because I think this is really key as you focus your search to be able to seek out organizations that really reflect your values and principles in a place that you want to work. Um, You know, I listed some things. I think a number of you are on campus. I know some of you have graduated, but I hope this can be helpful you know, think through different ways that you can get involved and really beef up your resume. You know, it can be anything from volunteering to getting internships. I we trust in college. Um, you know, there are lots of ways that you can put things and have those opportunities that really will sort of highlight and showcase who you are as an individual in leadership. Um, moving into the next slide where I kind of show the policy, the advocacy, the big and small. And it's really a very wide movement out there. Um, It's pretty incredible when we think that there are thousands of organizations doing great work in the conservative movement. So one thing that I really like to encourage you all to think about is what size organizations you want to be with. You know, I used to work at Heritage, which, you know, 200-plus people, an $80 million budget, and now I'm at AF, which we just had our first million-dollar year last year. You know, we have a team of six. You know, it's a very different flavor working at both organizations. On those pluses and minuses to working for big organizations or small organizations. 
So there's also pluses and minuses if you seek out organizations that are more traditional think tanks like Heritage or more advocacy organizations like an Americans for Prosperity. So there's no right or wrong answer to any of this. It's worth thinking about, you know, what do you enjoy? What type of organization do you want to work for that really matches your values? Uh, I put one of my favorite um, resources on here, which is policyexperts.org. If you've never visited it before, it's just a really cool interactive um, website. Basically, I'd call it our directory for the conservative movement. Um, if you look on there, you can search by either expert or organization. And then from there, you can also narrow search um, by state. So, you know, I'm from the great state of Michigan. So if I wanted to see what organizations are in the conservative movement in Michigan, I can search there. And it would pull up groups like the Mackinac Center for Public Policy, which is our state-based think tank. The Acton Institute, which if any of you have been familiar with Acton, do amazing work um, talking about things like poverty. Um, and so it would go through and it would show all the organizations that exist here in Michigan. Obviously, if you move to D.C. and Virginia, you're going to see there's hundreds of organizations in that area that exist. I just mentioned this um, as a good resource for you to think through if you want to start searching and learning a little bit more about what groups um, exist out there. Um, and you can go through and click and learn more. Um, the next slide, I put a few resources that are really specific for job searching. So here at AF, at Heritage Foundation, the Leadership Institute, we all have great job banks and those sorts of things to really assist search. So those are two good resources that as you're starting to think where you might want to go that I'd encourage you to take advantage of. Kind of pivoting, and I always like to mention too that even within these organizations, there is an incredibly wide range of jobs and opportunities that exist there. You know, I think a lot of people when they think the conservative movement are moving to D.C. are focused on research opportunities. And that's absolutely true. That's great. There are, of course, those opportunities there, and we need solid, principled leaders in research. But I always like to point out that there's really much, much more when it comes to into deep jobs in D.C. and around the movement in the states. You know, you can get jobs in everything from accounting to communication to development to IT, working for an organization you support. And I think that's just a really incredible thing, and I like to – that's really how I came to find my place in the movement, was finding that outreach, that coalition building, uh, the project management side of things, but doing it for organizations that I'm really passionate about our mission. So I'd like to encourage those of you who, you know, your your passions and your talents and, you know, your God-given gifts that are really in things like not accounting to maybe consider being an accountant for a place like Heritage. It's really an incredible thing. So I just like to always mention that because I think all too often people forget about these types of rules when it comes to the professional world. Thank you for listening to the Forge Leadership Podcast. If you liked the show, please drop a review in your podcast app and be sure to subscribe for all our latest episodes. You can follow Forge Leadership Network at Forge Leadership on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
For more information about Forge programming, please visit forgeleadership.org.